Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, the end of the year sermon. I don't know what we're going to do. I, um, you know, I probably should have prepared something. There is, uh, I know that two, 2019 started off, and we're not going to rehash it, but it started off with a, as a challenge, to say the least. A lot of folks hurt, disappointed, emotions were there, but Jesus is still here. Amen. Amen. And I, I don't know how you're going to take what I'm about to say, but I hope you take it in the spirit that I mean it. I commend all of you for staying the course. It's all about Jesus. And next year is all about Jesus as well, and we're going to keep on, keep on, keep on focusing on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning's message is my gift, year-end gift to you is fairly short, but I, I want it to be, don't get excited about that, that would hurt my, that hurts my feelings. So, open your Bibles or turn them on, find your Bible app. I want you to meet me in Psalm 147. When I think about 2020, we may have started off 2019 on kind of a rough, rough go of it, but what we're going to look at today, I hope will launch us into the new year with a, a, an understanding of something that will go a long way for helping us get through the next year with great joy and great victory and seeing what God can do in our, not only our church family, but also in your family personally. I have seen this work time and time again. What I'm going to tell you today, I have practiced it in my own life, not as much as I should, but I have. And I've seen the changes it can make in Frank. Psalm 147 begins with a command. And it should be taken as a divine direction for every child of God here. Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord, there's the command. Here is why. Because it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is what? Beautiful. Some of your Bibles might translate that as fitting or the old King James says for, for praise is comely. It, it means becoming. One, one Bible translation says praise is becoming. It's fitting, it's comely, it's beautiful. It simply means this, folks, that praise is always appropriate. It's always appropriate. It always fits every, every situation. Did you know that the Bible places more emphasis on praise than it does on prayer? Now, we all know the importance of prayer. Prayer is the life and the breath of the believer. But verse for verse, the Bible places more emphasis on praise 
than on any other subject that I could find in the Bible. Now I want to give you some powerful, some very practical reasons for learning to praise God in every situation you find yourself in. First of all, praise reverences God. It reverences God. Praise the Lord for He, it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. What this means is this, folks, God did not create us primarily to serve Him. If He simply wanted something to serve Him, He could have, you know, he could have made machines to serve Him. He, he could get angels to, who, who frankly would do a much better job at serving Him than we do. Amen? But God created everything, living and non-living, to be one great chorus of praise to Him. Psalm 145.10 says, All of your works shall praise you. O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. That means that everything that God has created should praise Him. Angels should praise Him. Human beings should praise Him. The animal creatures praise the Lord. Even the inanimate objects praise the Lord. The great universe praises God. Think about this, folks. When a man or a woman curses or uses profanity, he or she degrades God, right? But when they praise, what does it do to God? It exalts it, it exalts him. I think, I think praise is probably the opposite of profanity. And we get upset. And if you're like me, you get upset when you hear someone uses, using God's name in a derogatory way, in a, in a way that the Bible said using the name of the Lord in vain. It, it, it irks your spirit. You understand when somebody says that, that they're lost, they don't know better. But when it comes out of your mouth, you just almost want to go use mouthwash. You don't like getting, getting to that place. But how many times do you take the name of the Lord in praise? And what a difference it would make if we praised God in that fashion. And folks, I believe this. We praise our Lord in direct proportion to what we think of Him. Our word worship is really related to the word worth. Worship is an indication of our worship how much we think God's worth, and we worship accordingly. And folks, He is worthy of our praise, and praise gives reverence all to God. Amen? But it has a reciprocal effect. When we praise God, something happens to us. It refreshes us. Praise refreshes God's people, His saints. Look at verse 2 and 3. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. There is a refreshment. There is a healing. There is a binding up of the wounds that comes when we praise God. That's one of the beautiful things about it. Is not only do we exalt God, but I believe it has an energizing effect on us. It refreshes us. What marvelous therapy, right? Psalm 81.1, sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Sing aloud to God who is our strength. 
Nehemiah 8.10 simply says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. As we begin to praise the Lord, folks, He begins to refresh our spirits. How many of you could be refreshed today? How many of you need that? I, I fear too many Christians walk through much of their, their spiritual life in just sort of a funk, just sort of heavy. But folks, He is worthy of our praise, and our praise reverences the Lord, and praise refreshes the saints. It refreshes the saints. We need to begin to praise Him. So many believers, I, I fear, have a tendency to be negative or critical of everyone and everything. You ever been around a Christian like that? Just a dark cloud seems to show up when they, show, when they, get, when they arrive. And they're critical of everyone, of everything. Too many of us spend much of our time worrying about and fretting about things that we cannot change. Too many of God's people live with sort of a, a simmering anger and a frustration that just boils over at the least little thing. You get cut off in traffic and what happens? Nervous laughter. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. We get patient with slow service at a restaurant and we lose our witness over because of a plate of food that didn't show up on time. Ah, oh, believers, that, that should not be, right? You go over to Psalm 73, you don't need to turn, I'll tell you, there's a man by the name of Asaph. He was a worship leader. He was a musician. He led people in praising God. But there was a point in his life where he began to look at what was going on and his focus got on just how the wicked prosper. It seemed like they, everything goes their way. And life is hard for us. We're trying to live for God. We try to live with integrity. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't steal. We don't use profanity. We try to be the best men and women as examples for God. And it just seems like everybody else who doesn't know God just seems to prosper. And all of that was coming to his mind. And he just sort of looked at life's rat race and came to the conclusion the rats were winning. And he said, when he did this, he said, Maya, when I looked at all these, he said, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. You ever been there? Your mind is just so absorbed with that person who made you mad so that you can't even concentrate on what you're doing. He said, I'm so upset with these people and my mind was vexed. I was foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. What an idiot I was. My flesh and my heart fail. He realizes, boy, this is just taking my spirit down. But then he goes on to say this, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he begins to gain some ground. And he said, but it was good for me that I draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I might declare all your works. He got to looking at all the negative, bad things that were going on. And he said, you know what I need to do? I need to quit acting like that, and I need to draw near to God. And as it says in John, he said, or in Peter, says, if you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. And that's what He did, folks. If if you become someone who has a sour spirit from focusing on all the mess that this world dredges up, and it can dredge up a mess, right? I can tell you, folks, you can go from rotten to refreshed by learning the value of praising God, giving Him praise. I know this world's, you, you look at our political system, and, and, and I'm probably the least political person in this room, but I look at our, our political system, and I know it's in bad condition. But can I tell you something that Daniel said in Daniel 2.21? God removes kings and God raises up kings. 
He's in charge. So I can get all bent out of shape at whatever's going on in Washington or California. But, if, but at the end of the day, if I come to my senses, wait a minute, God raises up and God removes. Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's his job to place and remove. Why am I so upset about it? He's in sovereign control of what happens politically on this planet, on the planet, not just in our nation. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't vote, we shouldn't have a, a say. That is simply to say at the end of the day, it's my father's world. It's my father's world. I know the economy's in the tank, but I also know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? 50, Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine, God says. They're all His. The planet's His. I hate to tell these ecological earth, Mother Earth, tree-hugging people, I believe we should take, have, be good stewards of our planet, but I got, you read the end of the story, this planet's going out. It's, it's, it's not good for this earth. God's going to recreate it, but for now, yeah, don't pour your motor oil out in the curb. We get that. That's just smart. But I'm going to tell you what, my father owns this planet, and he's got a date and a time where something's going to change, and it's not going to be good for this earth. But everything is his. And I know the economy's bad, but God also said through the apostle Paul, my God shall supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God supplies according to His riches and glory, not according to the economic disparity on earth. He can still meet your needs even in the worst economy. Amen? Amen. Listen, if every negative thing on this broken planet is robbing you of your joy, then learn how praising God in the midst of it all will refresh your spirit, pull you out of that slump, Get you back where your mind needs to be because listen to me, you cannot praise God and pout at the same time. Amen? Isaiah 61 verse 3, God gives us, it says this, that God gives us the garment of, gives, He gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's time for some of you to put on some new clothes. Right? He gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Psalm 147, verse 3, he says, he just simply says, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Praise reverences the Lord, but it also refreshes the saints. It refreshes the saints. Thirdly, praise releases our faith. Do you know what gives your faith a vitamin shot? It's praising the Lord. Look at verse 4. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble and He casts the wicked down to the ground. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, folks, seriously consider at times how great and how magnificent God is. Sometimes we get in the midst of something and we start losing our faith. We start acting like God really isn't in this. But I want you to consider at those times just how great and how magnificent God is. He scooped up the seas. He heaped up the mountains. He hung the earth on nothing, according to Job 
26.7. He appointed a place for the sun. He appointed a place for the moon. He flung out the stars. And the Bible says in Hebrews, He upholds everything simply by the word of His power. Do you know why everything stays where it's at? Because God told it to stay there. And it, at least it has a sense to do what God said to do. How are you guys doing? Look at this great passage in, he, in Isaiah 48, 13. I love this. Indeed, God says, Indeed my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up. Wow. At least they have sense enough to do that. He's our almighty God. Jeremiah the prophet said this, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. When you begin to praise, and you praise Him for who He is, just consider for a moment and remember that that God, that God who hung the earth on nothing, whom the heavens, the Bible says, are but a span of His hand, just remember that that God is the one who lifts up the meek, that He loves you, that he knows you. And not only does he call the stars by name, but he knows the very heads of hairs on your head. They're all numbered. Not a real hard task for a few of you. But <laughs> us guys with hair can say that. But listen, when, when we set our focus, get our minds on the greatness of our God, and then begin to praise Him for that, you'll find that your faith really is growing in your heart and in your life. Because all of a sudden, He becomes greater and bigger than any problem I can face on this planet any given day of the week. God is greater than this tragedy, than this dilemma. This is our Father's world, and folks, not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. Now you can grumble about all the problems or you can give praise to God for all of his greatness. Which one will you choose to do? Begin to praise God in the midst of this problematic world and you'll see your faith released. Because listen, faith is a byproduct of praise. You see the reciprocal of praise? Remember, it, it honors God, it blesses God, but it also refreshes me. And I believe part of the byproduct of us praising God is that our faith is increased. There's another thing that praising God is going to help you with in 2020. If you'll set your heart to begin to praise Him, praise reflects our thankfulness. It releases our faith, but it reflects our thankfulness. Look at verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. You know, I'm not so sure there's a greater sin on this planet than the sin of ingratitude. Matter of fact, when, when Paul is writing about the judgment that God brought on the early pre-flood people. He said this, for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, and look at this, nor were thankful. That's one of the primary sins of humanity. 
but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts weren't refreshed. What happened to them? They were darkened. Thanklessness. When I was a young dad, I mean, we had uh, our oldest daughter, Leslie, was 18 months old. She was the only little tricycle motor in the house, and she was just as sharp as a tack. And as a young Christian, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to train up my children in the way they should go, and I want to live for Christ in front of them. And I was having trouble because I, uh, praying before my meal because I wasn't raised in a, in a particular Christian home, and we didn't pray before the meal unless the preacher was there, and that was like once or twice in my lifetime. We just didn't do it. And so when Teresa and I would sit down at the table, most of the time I'm halfway through the meal before I go, ah. you know, it didn't. But somehow or the other, in all of my futile efforts to learn how to pray before I ate, my little 18-month-old daughter stopped me one day with a mouthful of food, first mouthful of food, and she said, Daddy, pray. I said, but, but when she did that, that was like God going like this, Frank, Frank, that was for you. Your little, your little 18 month has sense enough to thank me. And that really convicted me that my daughter is now teaching me to pray before my meal. That helped, that helped. But I read something else that really stuck with me all of these years. And if it helps you, fine. But uh, an old evangelist by the name of Vance Havner, an old Southern Baptist uh, evangelist, he told the story in one of his books about a man who uh, was, had bowed his, his, his head in prayer, praying for his food in a restaurant. And when he had finished praying, some people at a nearby table kind of chided him a little bit, making fun of him for doing that. And he responded to them by saying this, and this stuck with me, and, it re and I remember this to this day. He told these, this, these people who had laughed at him, he said, you know what, a, a, a pig will eat the fruit that falls from a tree and never once look up to see where it came from. Ooh. I think of that when I get to chewing on food and the way I didn't thank God for this. What a pig, you know? If it helps you, that's great. If it doesn't, then something's wrong with your heart. That's the best illustration I've got today, so... Aren't we a blessed people? We are. So, I, I, so many of God's people, rather than being humbly grateful or grumbly hateful, try to say that real fast. We, we need to learn how to praise God. Think about this. If you can't be thankful for what you receive, then for goodness sakes, you ought to be thankful for what you're not receiving. Right? Because every one of us here deserves something other than blessings, right? Praise reflects thanksgiving. Tells God we so appreciate all you've given to us and done for us. Lastly, praise resists our enemy. Look at verse 10. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and in whose hope, those who hope in His mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for He has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. Folks, we have an enemy. I don't need to convince you of this. We have an enemy who would love nothing more than to take down South Valley Community Church and the impact that it's having around this globe. And it is having an impact. He wants to take us down. He tried. 
I believe he tried early last year. But you stood fast. The, the, the term legs of a man in that verse is simply a euphemism about a man's strength to run and fight. The strength of a horse is simply talking about armaments. He, he's simply saying these are not the things that God takes praise in. Not in your ability. God takes, doesn't take praise in that. He can't get glory in that. What he's saying is this. To, to Israel he's saying it's not how many horses you have or how many, how many soldiers you have who can run into the battle and fight. That's not what's going to protect your gates. That's not what's going to protect your city. And I would say this, folks. The thing, that is, the thing that is going to protect America is not primarily the Pentagon or a stockpile of bullets that we have. Our protection is not primarily our war machine, though I would never, ever vote to diminish that. Thank God for our military. But I will say this, the thing that really is going to protect America is when we learn how to praise God and we get Him back as Lord of this nation. That's what we need. The Bible tells us in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our God. We can't trust in the legs of a man or the horses or the armaments that we have. We need to have them. It's like the old saying, trust in the Lord, but keep your powder dry, right? Psalm 33, 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now we have an enemy as believers in Christ. And if we're going to see victory over the attacks of the enemy, if we wanted to apply what was just said in Psalm 147, our, our ability to relinquish and, and vanquish the foe who's against us will not come in our own strength. Paul said as much. The weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God, right? If we're to see victory over the attacks of the enemy, I believe praise to God is our chief line of defense in resisting the attacks of Satan. Think about this for a moment. If you, if you kind of did a little bit of research, you go back to Ezekiel chapter 28. There it describes Satan when he was Lucifer. He was a created angel, and, he, and the Bible says that he was the sum of perfection. It was like God's greatest angel of all. And there's some indication as you read about him in Ezekiel 28, because it talks about his, his pipes and his timbrels. Those are musical terms, of musical instruments. Evidently, Lucifer was this beautiful, magnificent angel, and he was in charge of leading the, the, the praise and worship of the Creator. That's what he originally did until, the Bible says, until sin was found in him. And do you know right now, to this very day, there's, there's something that he cannot do? He cannot praise God anymore. And when you do it, it's like a slap in his face. I'm going to praise the one you rebelled against, Satan. I'm going to lift him up and extol his name and almost see him run out of the room holding his ear screaming. He doesn't want to hear it. Praise is powerful, folks. He was the chief angel leading the angelic host and praising God. And now he is the antithesis of praise. 
When we praise God, we're doing the very thing that He was once perfect at doing and can no longer do ever again. I think another reason why our adversary is repelled by praise is that when we, pray, we praise God, God becomes so near to us. The, the Scripture says this in Psalm 22.3, that God inhabits, He indwells the praises of His people. Think of it this way. Praise is God's address. He lives in your praise. God dwells in the praise of His people. And I know, I know Satan doesn't want to hear it, but when we begin to praise God, it's like He in a powerful, dynamic way. I know He's always omnipresent. God is always here. He doesn't just show up. He's here. But He shows up in a dynamic way. We begin to lift our voices and praise and worship and extolling His name. I believe when we do that, the glory of the Lord could fill this place to the point we'd have trouble standing if all of us would do that. I know. When I've gone through some hardships, and Teresa and I, as you know, in recent years, in the recent year and a half or so, have, have gone through one of the most difficult things we've ever had to face, and you, you know what that is. But we, we made a, a determination that we would not complain, but that we would praise Him. And it was remarkable how His filling, how His presence and His comfort, and all of that was there. Listen, folks, whenever there is massive praise, when you come in here on Sunday morning and you choose not to do this, but do this, I'm going to tell you something. Satan's paralyzed by that. It vanquishes him. He can't tolerate an attitude or an atmosphere of praise. He doesn't want to be around it. Therefore, I want South Valley Community Church to forevermore be a church of great praise. The devil can't operate. He can't function in an attitude and a place of praise. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. It's praise that resists the enemy. It reverences God. It refreshes the saints. Listen, it releases our faith. It reflects our thanksgiving. And it resists the enemy. David said this, and I'll close with this passage. David said, my heart is fixed. In other words, whatever was broken about it, it's fixed. Now it's solid. It, it can't be easily torn apart, right? My heart is fixed, oh God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. You see what happens? It'll fix you, your broken heart, your jealous heart, your angry heart, your vengeful heart, your lazy heart. Begin to praise Him and say, God, to you and you alone, I give worship. You alone are worthy of that. That's what we sang earlier. Next year, when I see you next year, come with a heart and an attitude of praise. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Father, as we go from this place, I trust that our hearts have been challenged but that our spirits are also refreshed, that we walk out of here with joy to meet the day, and that whomever we encounter, may the joy of the Lord be our strength, but it may it also be something that is contagious. If we go into a restaurant, let's be grateful to a waitress or a waiter who's having a tough day and encourage them. And Lord, as we drive down the road, may we drive with grace and patience, honoring you and all that. If we go to work, may, Lord, our attitude and our hearts be 
praiseworthy. Use us for your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. See you next year.